This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Welcome to Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. No Josh Williams this week, so you have to make do with me, Guy Clark. Dave Hughes, though, is here with us, so there isn't too much to grumble about. Dave, how are you keeping, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, mate. Um, yeah, it's good to good to team up with you in Josh's absence. Um, it's been a, it's been a little while, hasn't it? So um, yeah, hopefully, looking forward to a good show. Yeah, the the AA Godfather in Josh Williams is away, so the kids will play and, and all of that. We've we've got a fair bit to to get into today. We're going to talk about Trent and playing in midfield, albeit I suppose that's kind of been done to to death a bit this week. We're also going to have a chat on Harvey Elliott after withdrawing from the England under twenty one squad, and if he is to miss any action for Liverpool, what that could mean because he's been in absolutely scintillating form for the Reds. And also we'll get back to the good stuff for trip to Ellen Road to preview before having a look at the return of. Champions League football. So, Dave, it seems as though we've uh, we've actually got a fair bit to get into. Let's let's talk about Trent first up. Then playing in midfield, it's been something that's been spoken about for quite a while now. And on Sunday, he did it for England against Andorra. Albeit, I don't think the team dynamic nor the opposition he was up against really probably told us all too much, did it? No, you know that was always going to be the problem. On one hand. Uh... They were, the, you know, a perfect opponent to do so uh, at home against a side you're almost certainly going to beat. You know, a lot of the ball. Um, it was it was basically a training game, isn't it? And those fixtures often are. Um, it's a chance to kind of try new things out competitively. I thought England were doing a lot of set piece routines. They probably thought that this game was also a good opportunity to to kind of drive run run some of them. But in terms of um, trends in midfield, yeah. To be honest with you, Guy, I thought he looked comfortable in build-up play, um, especially from a tactical point of view, obviously, when when uh, you see it a lot now where centre-mids will drop into wing-back positions and then the wing-backs will push into those more advanced areas to get, give width. Um, he was doing that a fair bit, and when he was doing so, he was he, he was doing so well. He looked fine. He was in that kind of uh, really good dangerous area where he can fire balls in behind or into good locations in the attacking third. But um, I don't know. I wasn't blown away by it, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I thought his rotation, he, he rotated quite well on that side of the pitch. But again, that would come naturally from his time with Liverpool because that's what happens over there. But uh, the game, I don't know what you thought, Guy. I thought on the whole, it maybe bypassed him a little bit for large periods. Yeah. Uh, I don't disagree. I've got a couple of points that sort of I wanted to, to run past you as well in terms of my thoughts on it. A, it was an experiment that lasted 45 minutes. Now, there was a lot of talk even in the build-up to the game at half-time and then as it did transpire into the second half that Andorra, if they were going to sit in their shape and be stubborn, it would be for the first 45 minutes an hour. So you're not really going to see much of Trent, what he is able to do opening them up until their shape begins to fall apart a bit, which, as it went on, it did. But by that time, mm. Reese James is in the midfield, has that shot that hits the crossbar. Maybe if that were Trent, he would have been able to rifle one into the top corner. Who knows? The other issue as well is actually his position within it. I get what you're saying in terms of playing in that, I suppose we call it 3-8 role, as it were, one of those two midfield roles with a, a defensive midfield enforcer behind them, that actually there's that licence to be an old-fashioned box-to-box midfield player. Now, 
as much as he does drift out to the right, and Gareth Southgate spoke about that before the game, saying those will be kind of natural positions for him to find. They are, but that is also very much in a deep build-up phase as opposed to really getting going and really trying to open up the opposition. So he didn't really get the chance to do that. And I think when a lot of people consider modern fullbacks moving into the midfield, I mean, the two Germans, Lahm and Kimmich, uh, sort of the two sort of pin-up boys for doing this, they both moved into midfield pivots and been deep ball progressors from deep, which I think Trent can do. Whereas going from being an offensive right-back, right-wing-back almost, as it is with Liverpool, albeit in a back four, to being a a box-to-box midfield player, for me, is quite a big leap to make, certainly on the international stage. Yeah, I agree. I thought, you know, in terms of being on the on the right side of the attack, we're, and what I will say is he, he's comfortable in, 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 in different positions on that side. You know, it can be in a deeper position. He's happy making overlapping, underlapping runs, even coming in a little bit more in field. That's all fine. And we saw that on in the game for England. I think the times he looked a little bit lost, I guess this refers to the point you were alluding to, was maybe just in that more central position when he was required to go in there, kind of creeping into the uh, attacking third, coming up to the penalty area, middle of the goal. It was at those times that maybe I thought the movements didn't come as naturally. Um, and, and why would he? Let's be honest, he's, he's not played that position all his career, really, has he? You know, mm. he, Well, certainly his, his senior professional career, he hasn't. So... It's not going to just come come naturally to him. Um, but I, I thought what really... I did have a quick look at the numbers. Um, you know, first half, he, he had just 25 passes of the ball. 18 was successful. Second half, as you mentioned, goes into goes back to right back. As you'd expect, he, he suddenly starts leaning a lot more of the ball. He has 47 passes, 42, which is successful. So it's twice as many, really. Same with passes received, first half 22, second half 43. Um, now, obviously, that's, this shouldn't be news to anyone. You're going to see more of the ball uh, in, in, in those where there's more spaces out wide. But for me, Trent's most dangerous thing is being on the ball. And if that means getting them on the ball more in those wider positions, then that's where I want them to be, um, rather than his, his output theoretically half and being in the centre of the pitch. Um, so it, I, I agree with you. But I do. I do see the argument to move him into the centre of pitch. I completely understand it because when he's on the ball, that there are a few players as devastating as he is. Now, for me, the most, the, the best role for him to to go into, if he's going to go into the centre of the pitch, where he's, he, Trent's Trent's strengths are being on the ball and picking teams off, and also being able to just link up with players and get the ball moving for Liverpool. Yes, he is athletic. He's he's a young player and he's got athleticism, but his physicality isn't really seen as his strength. Now, playing in that, as I say, free eights role, almost as it were, box to box, supposedly supporting attacks, it's not really what he does. He's not a great goal scorer. He he scores great goals, but he's not a great goal scorer from right fullback. He's not going to do that as a central midfield player. But if he were to play in the, the deep midfield role, and have two players around him who could occupy other midfield players and take them away and open up the pitch to him. He's got a passing radar. He can go right and left. At the moment, he primarily goes left because he's stuck on the right-hand side. Now, if Mm. he were in there, yes, he may have to be a bit more dynamic and quicker on the ball. I'm sure he could do that. But if he's going to play in midfield, for me, it would be a case of 
him going into that Fabinho type role, as it were, and it would dispel the other myth of the fact he can't defend because he would have that defensive responsibility as well as then mm. getting on the ball and dictating a game from the centre of the pitch. Yeah, because I suppose you would argue that's the closest things to the kind of football version of a quarterback, quarterback yeah. really, isn't it? If you and if you're gonna have someone in that role, then <laughs> there's few better in terms of distribution than 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 Trent. But um, it, I think it just changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, if you think about say say we look at this from a Liverpool perspective, the dynamic of that midfield, it has to change. That has a knock on effect other areas of the pitch. Again, it just goes back to when we've had these conversations before, haven't we, Guy? Um, obviously, sometimes you've been in them, other times it's just me and Josh talking about it. It's, it, 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 is, is that move necessary at this stage or even you know, in the immediate future? I don't think it is. Um, I think we're, yeah. yeah, it works as it is now. Um, so, you know, maybe five years down the line, because, we, you know, we forget how young Trent is, you know, maybe five years down the line when this the whole team changed it's a different um, dynamic with different profiles in the squad maybe you can then build it around them in that sense but I think for now um, it doesn't need to change and it still works really well with them out on that right side Completely agree I mean it, it, it's even one of those isn't it I mean Jordan Henderson's got his new contract what through to 2025 I think it is so mm. he can more than ably deputise in that deeper role when Fabinho's not around. And then maybe when Henderson moves on, actually, you say, right, Trent, you've built up so much experience now. Sit in that deeper midfield role, dictate games and pick teams mm. off. And, and maybe that would be the thing. But that's the thing for me. I think I think maybe that midfield experiment failed. I, I think it's, it's fair to say that. I don't think that's unfair on either Gareth Southgate or Trent. And whether it were down to personnel or, or not, I don't know. That didn't work, though. And I don't think anyone's really got an appetite to see it again. But if he is to play mm. midfield, for me, needs to be in that deep role where he can see the game in front of him like he does at right back. And he can also just pick teams off, which, again, of the three midfield roles, that would be the most suited to that. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Let's move on, though. Let's talk about another Liverpool midfield player who's been away on international duty, but with the England under-21s this time. He's had to withdraw from the squad and come back to Liverpool early. That being Harvey Elliott, we've not really got a full prognosis on his injury, if he's going to miss the trip to, to Leeds or how long he's going to be out for. But hearing that it's probably not actually going to be all too serious, the, the wording of the statement from Liverpool, certainly not making it feel as though he's going to be out for a, a great period of time. But nonetheless, even if he misses this game with Leeds or he does miss a, a few games, He's going to be a miss, albeit he's only really coming to the Liverpool team this pre-season. Yeah, you know, it's a really peculiar situation because um, at the start of the season, if if you would have said to me that uh, Harvey Elliott was maybe going to pick up, a, we'll just call it a knock for now, eh? if he's going to pick up a knock on the international break, um, you wouldn't really fear for Liverpool. And you're still not, of course, you know, let's we're not going to try and um, elaborate the problem here. Um not fearful for Liverpool, but I think it's just a testament to the impact Elliot's had on the side uh, in the, at the beginning of the season because he's he would actually for me be quite a miss. Um, yeah. You know, many expected him to predominantly be a kind of uh, Mohamed Salah understudy based on you know the player he's been over the last few years. You know, it, it predominantly playing as like a, a right side of the attacker, but. You know, we saw the Blackburn last year. That he was really versatile. Obviously, Blackburn were playing a four-three-three as well, which was you know perfect for his developments. 
we saw them playing on the right of the attack, but also as a false nine and as a right-sided number eight. And, and that's how Klopp's been using them initially. And, you know, his impact is... He's basically turned what is a menacing duo in Trent and Salah on one side to like a threatening trio with, with him joining up with them. And the profiles of the players... And we did talk about this a little bit on one of the recent episodes, but you think of like Trent's distribution combined with, you know, Salah, Salah's dribbling ability, goal threat, the pensive threat of Elliot. You know, you've got three really dangerous profiles. You can all interchange. You were comfortable coming inside, outside, dropping in, one overlapping, one underlapping. I mean, guy, how difficult is that as defenders? If you think about it, you know you, you've got to, as the defenders are, you've got to decide whether you tightly mark these players as they move from one one position to the other. You know, if you do that, you're probably going to leave a space in behind which can be exploited by one of the others, or you decide not to tightly mark them, keep a shape, but you risk them picking up uh, the ball in 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 decent areas with no immediate pressure. They'll punish you if you allow them to do that. It's a big headache for opposition, and um, it's a testament to just how how big Elliot's influence has been in these first few weeks. Yeah, for me, it was always one of those things I kind of thought about the Liverpool right hand side when Henderson plays there. Which I mean, I I don't think you can understate Jordan Henderson's importance to the team, and I, I would if it, if it were a Champions League final tomorrow, you'd have Henderson in over Elliot in that right hand midfield mm-hmm. role, but. He does completely bring something different and kind of unlocks a different strength for Trent of those underlapping runs, which we've not really seen beforehand. And obviously we saw against Burnley just what he was able to do. And it is a really interesting way in which he obviously plays higher on that right-hand side than what Henderson does. Henderson would drop deeper and that would see Trent go Mm. higher and wider and Salah obviously more central. But the way in which it operates with Elliot, where he sort of stretches wide, it then allows both... Trent and Salah to both come in field. And to me, it's it's kind of that link up down the, the right-hand side of three players that, I mean, apologies for bringing it back to, to the team I support, but Arsenal and growing up watching down the left-hand side, the likes of Cole Perez and Henri in terms of how Henri used to come out to the wide area. And those three used to link up. And if you have three players of that elite quality all down one, hand, one side of the pitch, oppositions all of a sudden are completely outnumbered because if they if they stick with say two nominally players defending a flank they're outnumbered already but if they start bringing a third or fourth man over all of a sudden they're completely stretched wide open and we, we obviously saw that with Sadio Mane's goal against Burnley and how Liverpool did just stretch it out to that right hand side from the the pass from Van Dijk and then ping it through the middle Trent found it the ball through to, to Mane and it was in the back of the net and it is a really interesting dynamic because Jurgen Klopp spoke about it didn't he after the first friendly of saying with Harvey Elliott that He's never played in midfield for us. Now, it was something that was trialled with Jordan Shakiri. It was trialled with Harry Wilson even in sort of the early part of last season before he then went on loan to, to Cardiff as to whether this left-footed player could do that infield, midfield role. And, and Harvey Elliott has done it. I think it's testament to him. But I think one of the worries for him, Dave, of coming back from international duty is the fact that last year he made 41 league appearances for Blackburn. 31 of those were starts. He played well over... 2,500 minutes in the championship last year. And with Jeannie Wijnaldum going, there was kind of that clamour for a midfield player. But the understanding maybe that Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, James Milner, and even maybe the likes of Jordan Henderson may well break down. But kind of a feeling that, ah, Harvey Elliott's all right, he won't break down. But if he's got this knock that we're calling it, even if he's going to miss one game or two, 
does it then all of a sudden throw a spanner in the works of going out actually? Who are the bodies that Jurgen Klopp really can rely on week in, week out to to pick on? Maybe I'm just going over the top there with with one knock he's picked up, but I, I think it is going to be a doubt in a number of supporters' minds. Yeah, well, I guess that refers to the the, the, the stuff uh, over the summer, didn't it, with the the issues of the lack of new new bodies coming in um, and the risk of being left short. You'd probably argue it in terms of midfield. Probably one of Liverpool's better positions in terms of having bodies in there and different options. Um, you know, you'd like to think this isn't going to be a recurring thing for for Elliot. Um, I mean, it doesn't even sound that severe as it is, no. but obviously we're not counting any chickens because you hear this and then it rumbles on and for another week another two weeks and you know cards are played close to the chest chest and suddenly you don't see him and uh you know hopefully that won't be the case uh this time and it is just something something precautionary uh there was actually talk of it being coming from the the chelsea game so you know maybe, maybe it's been lingering on the background and could have flared up um and he just didn't want to risk an international lives which you get because you know why would he? Why would he risk it? You know, in, although it's it would have been a really proud moment, of course, for for them to to make his uh, England under twenty one debut. He's going to be fully aware that that's coming, isn't he? You know, the talent that he is, that he he will hit that milestone. Um, but right now he's probably thinking, I'm actually quite important to this Liverpool side already. Yeah. You know, I, there was talk of me maybe going out on loan. I've proven that. Uh, you know, last season, his performances for Blackburn, early start of this season, pre-season, he's shown, you know, I can be a part of this side. And me and Josh talked a couple of weeks ago about how many minutes we think he might accumulate. And we said, you know, over maybe 1,000, 1,500. Yeah. Uh, you look now, guy, don't you? start thinking, based on the start, he could quite easily be... You know, it was over 2,000 for Blackburn, wasn't it, last season? Yeah, yeah, I've got it here. In the league, it was 2,758, to be precise. That's who scored, who, who was saying that, that, that number, yeah. but yeah. See, it's not with it without the not without the realms of possibility that he, he does over 2,000 for Liverpool this season because, you know, while Liverpool have got really good options in that midfield, and you mentioned Henderson before, he could easily come in there. You've got Thiago still kind of, feels a bit like the forgotten man, really, Thiago, because yeah. it's, it's been an understated start of the season for them, a little bit slow, but... Um, you know, you've got them who can come in, but just in terms of profiles, which kind of complement Salah and Trent on that right side, Elliot is really unique, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it, it's one that is really appealing to have on the pitch. So you know, just he could be a really big player this this year, and let's just kind of see where he's at with this injury, and hopefully it doesn't keep him out too long. Do you think Jurgen Klopp's going to have to be careful though with? nursing the amount of, of minutes because the intensity step up from playing championship football to top end Premier League and even going away with internationals and playing all these games we do forget he is 18 and mm. I mean his body will still be developing yeah yeah it's a really really good point you make actually to be honest because um 18 is such a young age you know it's many 18s and most of them even go on to play at at, at the Premier League level at 18 years old, you know, still maybe in the under 23, competing at under 23 level. If not, they're going out on loans, but you're going on loan to probably, you know, League One, League One standards yeah. championship. If you if you're something special, the intensity, as you've just pointed out, is so much different. So it is. It's it, it's a lot to it's a lot to take on. Um, but 
he does feel like a special talent, doesn't he? And they 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 use that age old saying, you know, if you if you're good enough, you're old enough. So maybe it is. I mean, the beauty is that we've already touched on. There's so many. There is so many options in that midfield. Uh, rotation is going to be needed to keep legs fresh because of how many uh, how many fronts Liverpool compete on. So he will naturally have breaks and. You know, uh, game management will come into that just organically, uh, but um, just I suppose you just don't want to over push him in this first campaign. It's just hard, though, guy. I'm 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 I'm, I'm struggling because it'd be a catch twenty two for Klopp because if he's really uh, offering something on the pitch, it's hard to leave him out because yeah. people need to win every game they play, don't they? So they, they do. No, I completely agree. But it's also mm. managing the long term. Is I mean, I think it's someone like Stephen Gerrard when he was breaking through. He played so many minutes and everything. And what was it? Probably early twenties had quite a lot of knee injuries and and groin and thigh problems of where his body was still growing and still actually shot up in a fair bit of height. If you look at him from when he first turned yeah. up for Liverpool to the height he he eventually grew to. But even if you consider someone like Mason Mount, for example, I mean, when, when he was eighteen, I think that was his first season out on loan at Vitesse when he went on and played, he played 40 games, but the intensity there in the Eredivisie is very different. And then he came back and went to the championship with Derby. So kind of Harvey Elliott's almost, I suppose, a year or two ahead of even a player like Mason Mountain. He's only 22. So yeah, I, I think that is one of the things of, of patience maybe being needed with Harvey Elliott. And actually, if he has got this knock, and you can be precautious with him so long as there are the midfield options, so long as Oxlade-Chamberlain, so long as Thiago, so long as Henderson are all fit, then actually um, I, th- I think it's one of those, use him almost as a luxury when you've got him there to use him, but don't run him into the ground because otherwise mm-hmm. it, could, it could come back to, to bite Liverpool. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Anyway, let's let's get on to the good stuff returning. Then Premier League action back at the weekend and Liverpool off to Ellen Road to take on Leeds United, who have started the campaign with two draws after that 5-1 defeat at Old Trafford on the opening day in the Premier League. What are we making of Leeds? Second season uh, back in the Premier League, yet it feels as though they've been back in an awful long time because of their playing style. They're not really a, a side who have come up, had to fight off relegation and prove themselves with the coach they've got. It kind of felt as as, as long as soon as they got promoted, yep, we're Leeds, we're back in the big time and we're here to stay. Yeah, look, um, basically for the entirety of Bielsa's time, they've been a, a really strong side. Um, in the Championship, uh, obviously, they they didn't come up the did in the uh, in the first season, although they were close. But for both those two seasons, he was in charge of them in the championship. You know, there was a lot of parallels between them and Manchester City uh, in terms of just dominance in in all metrics. You know, if you pulled up the the underlying numbers at the time, uh, Leeds were like out shooting everybody. Um, ranking top in terms of XG4, XG against, you know, just a real dominant, dominant side. Um, so it was no surprise really that when they did finally come up, uh, they'd be competitive because, you know, guy, you watch a lot of championship football, more, more than me actually. Um, I'm of the opinion that there isn't a, a lot of difference between say the bottom five in the Premier League and the top five in the Championship. Maybe you may feel different, I don't know, but I just think every side who gets promoted does have a, a, an opportunity to go and have a good campaign, um, especially yeah, with that new I think it's different. I think it's, 
Yeah, I think it's with the certain playing styles. I think sides who really go and attack the championship, mm. you can't attack 46 games. And I think that was Leeds' undoing really in the first year was they did go out to try and win every game rather than sometimes maybe say, respect the point, take a point, it keeps the points total ticking over. Mm. It was blood and thunder every time. Uh, I remember being at the game that effectively really, I think, cost them promotion when they lost 2-1 to Wigan on the uh, uh, Good Friday. Uh, almost it what basically helped Wigan survive and Leeds were 1-0 up up against 10 men Wigan had had someone sent off and then they just kept attacking and attacking when they, they just didn't need to and eventually because they were so they'd come on to Wigan so much it, it left the counter wide open two counter attacks were reeled off two goals for Wigan and then they were able to to dig in and hold off albeit as you say the shot count was just absolutely flying up I think mm. a team like Wolves have come up albeit maybe not maybe not on on paper or the, the stats the most attacking team as it were under Nuno but they would get into half-time keeping a game close, attack the second half and go, right, rather than attack a full 90 minutes in the Premier League, let's attack a 45-minute spell, a 20-minute spell, get ourselves a couple of goals and then go back into our shape. And it worked really well for them. And I think Brentford are, are similar. I think they'll come up, they'll really play open football, but also know at times they are going to have to lock it up. And that, that's what I mean. I think certain teams have come up, i.e. your Cardiff's under Neil Warnock type thing. If they're being mm. rather elementary and basic, they get the basics right more often than not in the championship over 46 games they can get enough points to get up but those sides who really yeah. do go out and dominate I think I think your point is is very valid yeah yeah but I mean the funny thing is you were talking about Leeds this kind of gun go approach uh a lot hasn't really changed uh no. in, in the Premier League has it and I think it, it what it does is it it makes Leeds very rarely any an easy fixture um obviously going to Ellen Road as well Really tough crowd. They've only had one game with fans in since the return of the Premier League. Two-two draw with Everton, which was again just a you know a, a wild uh, kind of hostile atmosphere. Um, but they haven't had the greatest start, have they? And I think that's something maybe worth pointing out. Uh, you know they've not won yet. Uh, obviously, it's really early days, but I've had a look at the performance numbers across those three games and the. The pretty medial mid-ranking for you know shots for shots against xg it just the kind of coin toss that we often talk about with sides that that can be with them uh, because of that approach of just going for it um and i thought what was interesting guy was i had a little look at you know when you're talking about that style that they have the intensity yeah. and it's 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 one that does seem to on the whole cause issues for lesser sides as opposed to the top teams um, which shouldn't come as a huge surprise because obviously the top teams are better players. So, you know, if you need to go toe to toe, they should come on on top. But I had a look last season and they played 16 games versus teams who finished above them, uh, which was the, the top eight. Uh, and they only won three of those games, uh, whereas they won eight out of eight against the bottom six. So it seems that it's, it, you know, it, it doesn't always translate as a successful tactic against the best sides because. Things like going, you know, man for man, uh, you know, players that the top players can bypass that. You know, they can dribble past it. They can, they can create openings. You know, you look at United, blew them away five one, didn't they already this season at the start of the campaign? Um, you think if they went toe to toe with Liverpool last year, didn't they at Anfield when they first come up flying high? Uh, Liverpool come out on top four three. I think Liverpool do a good job of that in general. If someone wants to go toe to toe with them. Um, They'll often come out. They'll often find themselves on the wrong side of the results. Uh, obviously, I'll be Leipzig. Uh, sorry, I'll be Salzburg. 
my apologies did a couple of years ago they come out on the wrong side of the results as well so um yeah it's something to keep in mind with this game yeah i think for me as well one of the the big things with leads as well i'm just trying to actually find it if i can is the amount of players they rely on. I think actually it comes at a good time to play them off the back of an international break. My, my feeling with Leeds when they got promoted was they will settle in fine in the Premier League because of how intense they are. Not playing in European football and, and basically having a free week each week to prepare and get ready for games is going to suit them down to the ground because the batteries will recharge. And they use such a small squad. I was looking then, so they used, they used I think, 23 players in the, the Premier League last year, yet... 16 of those had over a 1,000 minutes and the other seven players who were used all had under 500 minutes. So we're all very much just brought in, sub-player, getting a few minutes here and there type thing. And Bielsa is very much into that, of having a very tight and compact squad. And what I mean off coming off the back of an international break, it's easy for us as fans to think, oh, right, international football's finished and now it's, it's on to the club football. But when you've got players flying around the world and they are coming back, and obviously it's one of Jurgen Klopp's big gripes, a player coming back in on Thursday or even Friday morning before a, a, a Saturday game, actually, whether it's the preparation with the video and everything like that, or whether it's actually just physically getting yourself over the jet lag and things like this, I actually think this game kind of comes at a good good time for Liverpool, if that makes sense, because Leeds finished the season very well last year. I have to say, I was one of those who tipped them to maybe be a side who did break up the top six this season, albeit their start to the season hasn't been anywhere near what many probably would have thought or expected. Mm, I'm surprised at that. I uh, Because I, I, I obviously I know they've got really good foundations as a club, but I do, I do, unless maybe they got really, really good, uh, good players. They've already got good players, but I mean, an upgrade across the squad. Uh, I just couldn't see that style that they have consistently delivering results in the Premier League. I just think it is too. And you touched on it, the issues that in the Championship, you talk about that Wigan game. I do just think there's ju- they're just too open. You know, they're, ju- they're just too open, too expansive. And the, and, and it's the, a crazy the, the, style though to see firsthand. I remember being at Ellen Road, funnily enough, actually for the first game of Marcelo Bielsa, a 3-1 win over Stoke. I've never seen football like it. It's, it's like basketball. But on a pitch, it is that man to man. Everyone wins their jewels, but they just run around. And one of the one of the crazy things they do is just these interceptions from absolutely nowhere. Players slide tackling thin air just to intercept and win the ball, and immediately mm. go back on. It, it just opens the game up. So much of the idea of make the pitch as wide as you can when attacking and as narrow when mm. defending. They're happy to have the pitch as wide and as expansive in all phases mm. of the game because they know at any point then they can turn it over and really go on the attack. The point I was making about players used, actually, I've just looked now, found it. They did use the fewest players in the Premier League last year, 23. Um, There were a cluster of teams who used 24, Tottenham, Villa, West Ham, Palace and Man City. But it is is so demanding on their team to effectively... I said they used 23 last season, as I say. Um, what was it, six of them or however many it was, I said, who, who, seven of them who played under 500 minutes. It really is 16 mm-hmm. players that it is all in on them to really kind of go for it. Builds, it builds brilliant cohesion and that helps them with their attacking. But as you say, they are so open and so expansive and you feel Liverpool will be able to pick them off. And I wonder if this might be a game that suits Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Dave, in that midfield. If Harvey Elliott's injured, um, as you say, going toe-to-toe, 
is probably, along with Cater, perhaps the most dynamic player in that Liverpool midfield, albeit I'm not sure Cater's always had that full game approach to be able to do it. He can do it in small bursts and clusters. But certainly that Real Madrid away game last year when he was dragged off before half-time, it looked as though he was really struggling with the pace of the game. Whereas Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, to me, always feels and, and looks like a player who can just rattle around. And the more space he's mm. given to open up his legs, the more damage you can do. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you think of if you think of setups where you kind of are going man-to-man, which Leeds can often do without the ball, you know, he takes a, a, a good dribbler. Uh, or someone with a bit of pace and power to bypass, uh, and suddenly you you you're free. Then you've got a free man over, uh, which causes issues everywhere else on the pitch, doesn't it? And it's a good point, Oxlade Chamberlain. Um, he can do that. His, his issues always been as in the consistency. Uh, you know, when you're coming in and out of the side, and then you you give an opportunity, and not always taking it. I think he can be guilty of that. But I think this is a really good opponent actually for the, for him and. I think he is probably better suited to these games where there'll be a lot of transitions and, and, and there's opportunities to maybe punish team and punish the opposition in the transition. Uh he's done that before, hasn't he? Um so he is a really good option actually. Uh, and maybe someone that as as you said, with Elliot being out as well, maybe it's a good opportunity to to try and utilise him and see if he can punish them. Um he's a he's a good option. Someone I wanna mention, by the way, guy, just quickly, is uh, yeah. just because He's he's a really good player. He's been linked with Liverpool. Still might come to Liverpool one day, in my opinion. But um, Rafinha, you know, obviously yeah. he's a he's 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 someone who I think beyond the game and beyond watching Liverpool, I think a lot of Liverpool fans will be paying close attention to him because he's a uh, he's been linked, hasn't he? And he's he's the type of profile I think that could be successful at Anfield. Yeah, most definitely. I think, as you say, the way in which he can. It, it feels as though he is one of those players, almost in a what Mane was like position at, at Southampton. Who, if he were put into a team, it's an easy thing to sell. You put a player into a team who creates more chances, he'll put more away type thing. But mm. it does feel as though being in that Leeds team where it is an all round game, it's effectively them having 10 outfield players who all could total football almost all slot into one another's role and play wherever. Now, he obviously normally mm. plays on that right-hand side where as if he came to a Liverpool, I don't know about you, but I feel if he was kind of given the the, the responsibility and the role of saying, right, this is your role within that team. And, and hey, who knows? He, he's played on the right-hand side most of the time for Leeds as a left-footed attacker. But we do talk about people maybe succeeding Firmino or something like that. Yeah, Jota looks like a brilliant penetrative forward option. But I was actually going to come back to you on Ox and say whether this game is suited to Ox necessarily playing as a midfielder or even, we saw it in pre-season, as that false nine. If Firmino mm. is injured, which he is going to be, is it a game for Diogo Jota or could you even see Ox maybe playing in that role and really having full licence to get around the pitch? But when you then throw back sort of Rafinha to me, it kind of makes me think he, he's been linked with Liverpool. Liverpool don't really seem to be in the the market for buying an out-and-out forward. Now, Firmino was converted from being an attacking midfield player, which is what I believe Rafinha was before he was put out on the right-hand side at Leeds. I may be wrong. I didn't watch his time in in France, but he feels as though he's got that full-round package where when it comes to maybe replacing someone like Roberto Firmino, it would be about having different options and versatile options. So one minute Diogo Jota can be playing through the middle, the next week he can go back out to the left and you can have Rafinha who plays through the middle or can deputise on the right or can even pop up anywhere else on the pitch. Yeah, I think what um, what the Jota, Jota signing done, uh, or sorry, highlighted 
Um, was the importance of me bringing in attackers who, who have that versatility to the game. Mm. Uh, you know, it's been very traditional in the past. Liverpool's done a good job of it, but you say, you know, Salah, for example, uh, you wouldn't see Salah as best on the left. Uh, maybe, he's, you know, he's at, through the middle, he's, he's still a threat. But even when, when we've watched him through the middle, he, at times he hasn't looked the same player, as he? Uh, but on the right, you know, he's lethal. Jota comes in and Jota can kind of do a job almost everywhere. He can obviously on the left. You talked about him in that number nine position. He plays that really well. If Liverpool maybe wanted to go like a, a 4-2-3-1, you could see Jota in the nine or maybe even in the 10. I think Firmino is probably the better 10 in that situation, but you could still see Jota playing there, couldn't you, if he wasn't available and doing a really good job. Uh, and yeah, I see Rafinha in that same mould, a player who can play different positions. Uh and be and be quite dangerous doing so without you know letting the way drop off. Um, to quickly answer your question on Oxley Chamberlain, because I thought it was a good one with with highlighting and you know is he maybe a candidate for number nine? I think eighteen months ago without Jota, uh, he would have been. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, I think with Jota now, you think he just looks so dangerous, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, I agree. yeah. He, yeah, he, he brings so much to the team, but then he also just looks da- more dangerous than Firmino does anyway. Um, maybe he doesn't have the same all-round impact in terms of you know dropping into the holes and uh, the link-up play, etc. But he still does have that to his side. But more importantly, he looks clinical. He's confident. And for that reason, I think he, he, he'd he be the one starting in that role. But uh, as I said, 18 months ago, maybe it would be something for Ox. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... Um... I think this is going to be the season we look back on and, and Jota, I think maybe come come May will be one of the first names on the team sheet as that central forward option. And I think what you said there, his signing kind of unlocks maybe the next phase of what Liverpool's recruitment needs to be. Because as you say, it's been so... We get pent up and fixed up as, as football fans and of people who try and read and look at the game of thinking, right, OK, if you're bringing someone in, it needs to be a backup. It needs to be this person who does this, X, Y, and Z. Now, for so long, Tottenham have been looking for a backup to Harry Kane. Oh, yeah, but how do you sell it to someone to be a backup? Well, when Son came in, he was nominally brought in as a forward player, but then he's found a home on the left. And then when Kane gets injured, which he inevitably does, hence why they wanted a backup, he goes and bees the centre forward. And mm-hmm. everyone says, actually, how good do they look when Kane's not in the team? And to me, it feels like for Liverpool, that's the next area they're going to have to explore for replacing their forward line is if they go and look at a player and it's a, it's a right winger, left footed right winger like Rafinha, the club selling them are going to go, well, they're looking at this guy as the, the long-term heir to Mohamed Salah. We've seen what he's done. Let's ask for an astronomical fee. Yeah. They're not going to touch that. Whereas if they bring in these multifunctional forward players and basically mm. are saying to them, look, we'll find a, a place for you in the team because you're so versatile. It's not a case of there is that fear of, oh, yeah, he's the guy who's going to replace him, so let's charge an absolute fortune. If if that makes logical sense, it does mm. to me. I just yeah, no, it does, yeah, totally, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're totally aware when, when, you know, it isn't like football manager where you yeah. can just kind of pick it. These profiles are hard to come by, but you're also there. And you, Joss has been, you know, you said the term multifunctional attacker. Joss is a really good example of that. Uh Elliot's a little bit deeper. He's kind of yeah. shown to be that, hasn't he? You know, clearly he's a really good right winger, um, but he's also proven to be a really good right number eight. Uh, false nine. I'm sure Liverpool will use him in that capacity at some point in the future. So it is the uh, it is the way if you can find the right profiles and it's the type of player you want to recruit. Uh, just well, obviously, where it's not 
it's not as easy as just saying, oh, let's let's buy a player who can play five positions. You know, I'm sure many teams want to do it, but it's just something to consider. Yeah, right. Throwing everything we've said into the mix then about Leeds, how they play this crazy game, how it's off the back of an international break for me. I think that is important. When the sides met at the end of last season, it felt as though it was kind of a, a time, was it a Monday night game? I think it was. It wasn't midweek. It was Monday night, wasn't it? Where both mm. sides were kind of trying to still save a bit of what energy they had left for what was still to come. Leeds were in a very good run at that time. So, what do you think? Early season meeting at Ellen Road, as you say, only the second in which home fans have been back at Ellen Road for, I think it's first time 17 years, 17 mm. seasons that Leeds have been back in the Premier League. So only the second game back in the Premier League for their supporters. The atmosphere, I'm sure, is going to be absolutely electric and that will play into Leeds United's hands. How do you see this game going? Talk around the game if you want, but also it's it's time for us to get into predictions. Yeah, tough one, actually, really tough one. Um for obvious reasons, I think there'll be goals. Um, Liverpool look really good defensively, you know, so far this season. Um, even the goal that they conceded against Chelsea, I thought was a little bit unfortunate. I don't believe Havertz is trying to find the back of the net there. I think he's just looking for the flick on. Um, so, yeah, that being said, I probably expect Leeds to score the goal, uh, but I think Liverpool score more. So I'm going to go with 3-1, actually. 3-1 Liverpool, a big win. Yeah, as you said as you said there, I, I agree with you. I think, obviously, as you say, the only goal Liverpool have conceded is set-pieces. They obviously do so much work on set-pieces, but Leeds are another side who do set-pieces to the nth degree as well. And I think their goal, actually, at Ellen Road last season did come from a set-piece, didn't it? Um, I'm, I'm along similar lines to you. I think Leeds do score. I think Liverpool probably score more. I am caught between 2-1 and 3-2, but I'm going to go 2-1 to Liverpool. Um, but yeah, two I think points. it's I think it's going to be harem scarum kind of stuff, but I do think maybe 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 1-1 one, one into the last 20 minutes and then Liverpool eventually find that other gear and and do take a a 2-1 mm. win away from Ellen Road and maybe hey, who knows they might even add a third. Let's let's wait and see. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Before we go, we've got to talk about the return of Champions League football. And Dave, there was parts of last season where it didn't look like actually this may well have happened for Liverpool and that they were going to get into the Champions League. But it is back middle of next week on the Wednesday. AC Milan, the first side up for Liverpool. First of all, what do you think of the, the group for Liverpool that they've got in the Champions League? They've obviously got AC Milan, they've got Porto and they've got Atletico Madrid. It's being looked at as the group of death. What are your thoughts? I mean, let's be honest. It, um, it could have went better, better, couldn't it? Really? Yeah. Uh, you know, it reminds me. Of, it reminds me of one of those old school Champions League early noughties second group stage groups, where mm. you then look at it. And go, Crikey, there's some big names in there, but yeah. it's exactly what you want for being in the Champions League. Yeah, look, it's it'll, it'll add excitement to the group, won't it? I think the, the only criticism of the Champions League in recent times is. The, the group stages have very felt very watered down. You know, you have your, your great sides, then you have not so great teams from obviously smaller nations. Um, on this one, you you have you know you have four big names in there. Obviously, Liverpool. You've got AC Milan, uh, seven times seven times European champions, yeah. aren't they, AC Milan? Um, then you've got Atletico, Spanish champions. You know, uh, won the league last year. 
Porto finished second in Portugal, but you know, still a, a side with a, a good European pedigree. You know, ever ever present really in the Champions League, and they, they, they more often than not get through the group stage as well. Liverpool know because they seem to knock them out every time that they do. But um, yeah, look, it's it is tough. But what what I would say, you know, Atletico obviously really difficult, won the La Liga, ruthlessly efficient side. Shown already, they can cause Liverpool problems. Uh, obviously, knocked them out, didn't they, in twenty twenty? Uh, but beyond that, I think AC Milan, historically huge club, finished fourth last season. Syria. Um, I looked at the performance numbers. That that they were probably maybe fourth or fifth best side in Italy. So you know, they, they kind of finished where they should have been. But you know. Should Liverpool be really worried that they won't be able to overcome the fourth, fifth best side in Italy? I, you know, I feel like Liverpool should be, although not easy, can't underestimate them. I do think that Liverpool should be looking at that, thinking you know it's it's a team they can overcome. Maybe it's a draw away, win at home, and then Porto. They just have a really good record against Porto. And where you know where would you rank Porto in terms of Premier League level? Would you say? Top seven side, maybe top six. I know they have really good players, but you know, are they would they be top four in, in the Premier League? Probably not. So, on that basis, yeah. again, should Liverpool be overcoming them yet? So, when you break it down, guy, I think you've got Atletico with a big problem, uh, the other two, maybe less so. Yeah, I mean, it is a, a, a draw full of prestige, isn't it? I think when you add it up, I think it's 16 or is it 15 Champions League titles between those sides in the group and yet the top seeds at Atletico Madrid haven't won a Champions League so AC Milan have, have won seven Liverpool obviously six and Porto have won it twice so yeah it is full of sort of history but as you say I think a lot of the names may be scarier on paper than actually the, the proposition of, of what Liverpool will face and, and on AC Milan, they've been away from Europe's top table for so long and, and that's shown by the fact that they found themselves in pot four. But I find it absolutely astonishing that, what, 16 years ago, Zlatan Ibrahimovic was part of a, a Juventus side that lost in the quarterfinals at, at Anfield to Liverpool. You you fast forward the clock 16 years and he, he's still knocking about. Yeah, look, he's a... Well, what I like about... I think he's a, he's a man of my character, isn't he, Ibrahimovic? But what I really like about him is... Beyond the ego and the play acting, etc., you know, the things that he says in the media, which is part of the brand he's created for himself. I think as a player, he's an elite professional and you have to be to still be competing at this level. You know, I take my hat off to him. I take my hat off to any any player who does that because it takes a lot of discipline and commitment. You know, Liverpool only have to look at James Milner for their kind of equivalence. But, you know, Ibrahim Ridge to be doing that uh, in that forward role and still... Still, you know, being a threat for sure. Um, you know, take hats off to him, and even even in at his age now, I think he's he's still a player that you need to you need to be aware of, and you know, obviously have plans for. Yeah, I like Marmite, but I don't like Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I've, I've got to say that one, <laughs> Dave. In terms of certainly when these games are going to be played, though, sort of final note, obviously Milan at home first up. I think that's a big one for Liverpool off the mm. back of the, the Leeds game. That's on, on Sunday against Leeds and then the Wednesday game with 
Atletico uh, with AC Milan, sorry. Then it's going to be a trip out to Porto, which is off the back of playing Brentford, but crucially is ahead of Manchester City ahead of the next international break. That's a Tuesday to Sunday split between those games. The Atletico Madrid away game comes just before a visit to Manchester United, another Tuesday, Sunday split in that one and that's off the back of a trip to to Watford the previous Saturday. I mean we won't go through all of them but looking at them certainly in that respect the the ones ahead of the two games against Manchester City which is at home should I say and the the Manchester United game is is away. It's going to be sort of horses for courses and planning. I know Liverpool will want to attack the group and ensure that they can finish in top spot so they can therefore get a, a easier should I say uh, last 16 tie, there won't be any easy games in that round. But it is going to take an awful lot of planning for Jurgen Klopp and maybe doesn't have the deepest, deepest squad in terms of a real star quality. No, and this is it, Guy, isn't it? This is why we've had so many issues with what happened in the transfer window. You know, we've, I think, I think someone told me that Josh put a tweet out last week saying uh, that the comment section on our video was just full of. Uh, Oh yeah, I saw that did he see? stuff and transfer yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, I didn't see the tweet, but um, it wasn't surprised because there's a lot. Of, I think beyond the obviously, you get a few characters who take it too far, but we just you know strip it down. The fear comes in that the squad isn't isn't maybe built quality wise to compete on all these fronts. Uh, obviously, there's players who can come in, but just having that same level of quality, that Liverpool quality, you know, the real elite stuff it feels like maybe the it's not built for the games to become thick and fast against these top opponents but look win and build momentum doesn't it you know you start getting that core group sometimes chopping and changing can disrupt things you know if, if Liverpool can keep everyone fit and you're just tackling games after games and winning and you know getting that really good feeling that camaraderie in the squad etc something they've done before you know and you only have to look at what they've won over the last couple of years this squad have done that already it can work for you you know you don't always need to be a Man City who's shocking and changing everything Um, so it could work for them I think that AC Milan game coming up guy is a big one to be honest I think that could set the tone for the group if you go there and win there's a lot of confidence takes a little bit of pressure off some of the games coming up if you go there and lose, suddenly the pressure is on uh, and it becomes yeah. a little bit more of a task. So, yeah, big game, that one. Yeah, no, it definitely does feel that that is the way for Liverpool. Well, that's it for us here on this edition of Analyzing Anfield. Josh's tweet, I've just found it actually. 43 comments posted on Analyzing Anfield's video last week, 21 of them from the same person repeating FSG out. Well, you forced Josh out. He'll be back next week, though. And uh, Josh and Dave will be with you after the AC Milan game next week. So all of the reaction to that, as well as, of course, to the reaction to the game with Leeds United and ahead of Crystal Palace making their way to Anfield. But from myself, Guy Clark, Super Sub and Dave Hughes, thanks for joining us here on Analyzing Anfield. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.